Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm joined by Chris Halsey. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey Pete, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. We could probably tap into all of your skills in the business world, but I don't think that's why we're here. Okay. Yep, I agree. We're going to get to some of those things, but we'll pull out part of your background. But right out of the shoot, I want to let people know kind of the setting for the stage. I started to see some of your content on LinkedIn and just reached out and said, that's a moving story. Yeah. As a husband and a father, your story touched me. But not only that, but with the rawness and the openness with you shared it and described how this was your journey. And it's funny because I think your first post triggered about 2,000 job offers. And that's not necessarily what you're looking for. Yeah, it triggered a lot, man. I had, I had really, it really was one of my first posts and uh, certainly didn't expect what happened, but met a lot of great people. So, Chris, why don't you share with us what triggered that post and, and a little bit of the backstory? And then we'll drill into uh, to why this is just so relevant to our listeners. Sure. The backstory to uh, the post is. You know, and we'll probably get into it here, but the hardship our family had with, with my oldest son at the time being diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And, you know, I had, had enjoyed a long career uh, with my former company, but I decided about a year before he got sick, to, to decided to kind of go out on my own and try a few things. And, you know, about, uh, gosh, maybe a couple weeks before I was going to acquire a business and, and try my hand at that, uh, we were told he had terminal brain cancer and he had about six to nine months to live. So, you know, our world stopped spinning and, and we had to reevaluate everything, reevaluate everything. And I, and I walked away from that opportunity. And as I promised my son, I'd stay home with him every step of the way. And so that just triggered, uh, Pete, a whole long career changes, you know, adjustments, trying to accomplish things throughout my life after, you know, during and after he passed away to trying to recover my career or the things that I wanted to, to do. And it has been a number of years. Tyler passed away in 2014, but it's been a difficult battle since he passed away and, and really trying to trying to become relevant again in, in the corporate world and, and with, with companies. So throughout the process, I just, you know, I learned so much with my son that, that I realized how, what an under world it really is and can be in the business world and, and how people were treated on interviews how you're potentially treated once you're getting over, you know, 50 or getting in your late 40s, 50s of things, um, have a gap in your, your career, things like that. And, you know, no callbacks or, or you, know, you know, not giving people the courtesies that they deserve. And so throughout time, Pete, I, I, I tried to reinvent myself a number of times. You know, I, I taught myself graphic design, web development, uh, started a couple of different small business here and there. And, and I developed skills that I'd never had in my life. And, and I felt like my compassion was, was somewhere where it had never been. And so I felt like I was a better son and a better leader than I'd ever been in my life. But yet I couldn't get one company to talk to me. And so what prompted this post was just that. It was just, oh, I wanted to open people's eyes to the fact that everyone has a story and everybody's got a battle they're fighting. So to treat people kindly and to treat people gently and and be respectful to them. You don't have to hire them. You know, you, know, you, you should call back when you say you should, you're going to. You should do the things that you, you say you should do because everybody's struggling with something. 
And, and coming through COVID and, and all the challenges we have in our country right now, I was just surprised at the lack of compassion, quite frankly. You know, and, and instead of uh, opening our eyes to more compassion, I felt people are just getting angrier, you know. And so I wrote that not with the intent of, you know, woe is me or, or finding me a job, but just an awareness, you know, to just create some awareness out there that, that people are people. And man, life's hard, you know. Yeah. Your post struck me because I have two jobs, right? I run a stroke rehab company, but I also have a kind of a boutique search firm. So I deal with this every day. I deal with talking with candidates. I deal with the flack, justifiably so, that the recruiting world takes for you know being uncompassionate, right? You're, unfortunately, talent's commodity in their eyes. Well, it's not a commodity anymore. And in today's world, when there's so many jobs out there and people have a little more opportunity, I don't think anybody even understands how to even interpret this whole world. But you know, in 2014, when you come out after your son passes, you've had this gap in your career, you were ready to make this leap, and you're thinking about getting back in. I can only imagine the questions people had, because unless they speak with you, Chris, they're looking at this on your LinkedIn profile on paper, and there's, there's just, they're just going to rule you out. Absolutely. And I, you know, back in the day, I might have as well, right? You look at this resume, and you think, gosh... This guy tapped out, um, you know, his potential. He's, he's kind of, you know, had better days. Uh, but once you get the opportunity to speak to somebody and explain things, you know, it's just hard to get to that point, even hard to get to first base to be able to have those conversations about, you know, real life stuff, real life hard things. Yeah. And I think the ugly side, there's a lot of ugly sides of the job search business in the recruiting world. One is if you submit a resume to particularly a large company, right, they probably get 300 resumes a week. Yeah. And there's the person that might be screening those has never done the job. Right? They're simply looking for pluses and minuses. And if there's enough minuses, they put they file it, right? It just goes away. You don't get a reply. Now some have an automatic reply to make it look like they're doing their diligence and being polite, like thank you so much for applying, we'll be in touch. You know, on the flip side, professional recruiters and especially contingency firms, they they don't have you know, they're competing with four other firms to place that job. They play the numbers. So I've got, you know, 20 jobs. I'm only going to fill four or five of them because you know what that means? I'm not going to try real hard. I'm literally going to throw resumes over the wall because I got to play a numbers game. So I can't work on 20 jobs the way I would work on if I had only two, which means let me reach out to Chris and see what his story is. There might be something here. For me personally, I'm always interested in that gap or that position or whatever it is. I interviewed a woman yesterday who has four kids. And I guarantee you, because she has four kids, she's an ass kicker. Yeah. She's seen some things, right? And those, those, those gaps, people don't understand. She's, she's seen and done things that other people just haven't. It's a superpower. So let's step back a little bit further, Chris. I think your son's message resonated with you. And that's one of the yokes you picked up is, is to carry how he conducted himself right. during this trying time and how his attitude, life lessons, and love, um, to your point about having a little compassion and empathy, are something we could all benefit from. And I think this has become part of your message. As you said, you're still finding yourself and figuring out what your approach is. But let's start there. You would talk, and he would say these things to you that were just astounding, and you started to collect them and honor him with that. So tell us about how that all came together. You're right. It is a, a big part of me. And who I'm trying to become, but, you know, it starts right from the beginning, from the day when he was diagnosed, you know, we realized something was wrong when this athletic gifted kid uh, was having a hard time walking, to be honest with you, you know, tripping over himself and 
uh, couldn't do the things that he knew he would normally do. And, and, you know, he was 13 at the time. So we thought, gosh, you know, maybe it's, it's his age, you know, it's an old age, maybe he's experiencing things there. Um, so we started to rule some things out and, and it just, none, nothing was answering the questions. And so we called a neurologist and, you know, they had an appointment in a couple months, which wasn't going to work. So uh, we just made the decision that we're taking him the very next day to the emergency room at Phoenix Children's Hospital. And, you know, within a couple hours, Pete, we were told that uh, Tyler had a very rare brain tumor uh, that is incurable and that we were going to lose our son. And so it's a ton to process, right? And so my wife actually went with Tyler in the the MRI room to go through the MRI process. If you've ever been through that, I mean, it's pretty intimidating, yep. you know, I mean, especially when you're it talking is. brain, you, that means you're in the tunnel, you know, it's not a foot that's in there. It's yeah. your body's in there and it's, it's loud, it's loud, it's, dark, it's scary. It's and you're, you're 13 years old. And, and not only did they do MRI, they had to do two. Uh, they didn't like what they saw. So they did a second with contrast to get a little bit better imagery. Um, I sat out in the waiting room, right? They let one person in and uh, eventually the doctor came out and told me that he had a brain cancer and that he wanted, you know, he wanted to tell me so I could tell my wife. So we're going through all those things, Pete, trying to just come to grips with what that means. Uh, it's, it seems impossible. You know, a little bit later, we got to regroup with Tyler and uh, my wife went to call her parents and I was left alone then and, and we talked about a lot of stuff. And that's when I decided right then I was never leaving the kid's side. And, and he promised me he'd never quit fighting. And after a while, I realized, man, here's this kid. He's super smart. Uh, the doctors have been telling him what we're going to do. His parents have been telling him what we're going to do. He, he needs to have a chance to talk and, and say what he wants to do. And so I, I asked him, what do you want to do, buddy? And he said, whatever it takes, dad. And so whatever it takes became our motto and, and it will be our we will be team whatever it takes for the rest of lives. And what I didn't know was that just was the tip of the icebergs of, of the things that he would teach me over 17 months, the selflessness, the optimism, the hope that he, that he taught me um, are the things that ultimately changed who I am and changed my life. Um, there's many examples, Pete. Uh, there, I remember one time, just understand when Tyler was diagnosed, I, I helped him walk, you know, go down the steps of our home and helped him walk into the hospital on the last time he ever walked without a walker or, you know, really the last time he did it on his own. He went from that to the, to the day that he died, he was completely paralyzed, blind, couldn't talk and he couldn't swallow. So there was hell in between day one and, you know, 17 months, but, but he, there was a day when he was, he wasn't doing too well himself, but his little brother was sick. And, and as parents of a, of a kid with cancer, it takes both of you, you know, and, and unfortunately, the rest of your children take a back seat, you know, and, and that, that sort of thing. So Tanner, my other son, is, is sick, you know, got a fever, just regular stuff. He's laying on our bed, just like, you know, just somebody help me, right? And, and I looked over at Tyler and he started to cry. And I asked him what was the matter. And, you know, I just want to be better right now so I can lay by my brother and tell him everything's going to okay. And here he is dying. Answer, but his worry is about his little brother. And that was just one of many. You know, the, the, he taught me that people are the most important thing in life. And, and the most important thing that we can do is help other people on their path. And he was, in his moment crisis, he turned outwardly and worried about other people. He gave up in the process. He was a tough little guy, man. You know, he, uh, there was a day when we were, 
at home and, you know, he's in a hospital bed in our home, right? And, and he couldn't move much. He was losing mobility. He'd speak at this point. But, but he, and he had the, the, the sheets of his bed were up under, tucked under his chin. And if you have a kid with brain cancer, this typically they're going to have a swollen face many times. That's because of the steroids that they're taking uh, to keep the swelling and thing down. So Tyler had, you know, some chins. He liked to say, I got my chins. And uh, uh, but he had the sheet tucked up there and, and he couldn't move much. And, and he liked to have his arms crossed across his, his chest because, they, you know, he couldn't control them and they would fall. And it was just the most comfortable position. The only movement he left he had left in, in his body was in his elbow. He moved his arm a little bit. And I look over at Tyler and I see the sheet quivering and I see him really grimacing and then he'd relax. And then I'd see the sheet about waist, tie, grip, you know, shake. And then he'd miss it. And I finally realized Pete, what he was doing. And I asked him, I said, Hey dude, are are you exercising? And he, and he he blinked and he nodded. Um, All he could do was move his elbow a half an inch off of his chest. And he wasn't giving away, man. If that's all he had, he was going to exercise everything he had. And, And that taught me that, no matter what you have in life, whether you know you're gifted, not gifted, you're struggling, that whatever you have, you got to exercise it and you got to use it to the best of your ability and not apologize for it, right? And so he taught me that you've got to look at what you have and not what you you don't have. So these lessons continued on. One that I'd like to share that was the most impactful for me it was kind of like my last lesson life from my son uh, was after he died. And, and he liked to write in his journals. In fact, at, you know, during this process, he decided that he was going to write his life history. He's 13 years old. He was going to write his life history, Pete. And the way he decided to do it was he dedicated a chapter to each individual that he's ever met that influenced his life. And that's how he decided. It. And, and so he loved to write. He wrote in his journals. So after he died, my wife brought his journals out and I was reading his entries. And I came upon an entry that he wrote 10 months after diagnosis that shook me to the core and and ultimately changed my perspective. And it was kind of like, Hey dad, this is my final thing for you that I need you to understand. And I need you to help me keep delivering my message. And he wrote, it's almost been a year that I've been fighting this disease. There have been lots of ups and downs, but most ups. This experience has been a blessing in my life, even though it's caused me so much pain. I've made new friends and renewed old friendships. My life is amazing. Now, this was 10 months after he was told he's got terminal cancer. Within three months, he lost the ability to, lo- to, to move his left side. And then in September of that year, um, he started losing friends that he had met through Make-A-Wish, through hospital stays. You know, Katie passed away. He started having terrible stomach pains that we didn't know what it was. So we took him to the emergency room, found blood clots in his legs and in his lungs. And what we didn't know was the steroids keeping him alive, keeping the inflammation around the tumor in his brain down, were destroying his bones, Pete. So all the calcium from his bones were, were leaching out and depositing into his kidneys. So he had terrible kidney stones. And that was where the pain came from. Side note, he passed a kidney stone every day of life for the last six weeks. Oh, my gosh. So he had a ton of pain for five, you know, probably five, six days in the hospital. We bring him home. You know, it's excruciating. He's got another one back to the hospital for another five or six days. Bring him home. And, and, and you know, he's in a wheelchair at this point. Pete, so he to bathe the kid. Um, I pick him up out of his wheelchair. I set him in a, in a shower chair and, and I bathe him. And then I pick him up and I put him back in his wheelchair. 
And when I set him back in his wheelchair, I would say that he screamed in pain, but he was in so much pain and scream. And, and he pointed to his back, you know, kind of like where your kidneys are. So I'm thinking, all right, we got to ramp up the meds, the pain meds. Nothing helped. He couldn't even move his head without pain. Back to the hospital through, you know, multiple just horribly painful tests, uh, found that his vertebrae collapsed in his, in his yeah. back. So, you know, hospital for 10 plus more days, just trying to get him to where he could sit up and get in a car and go home. And then he lost another friend in Jaden. And so I'm, I'm just telling you all these things because that happened between diagnosis day and the day Penn hit paper. And he said, my life is amazing. And I've thought about that and how much in my life, I thought my life was horrible for much less. You know, boss, I don't like my boss. My hours are terrible. You know, the sun's not shining. And here's this kid who decided that his life was amazing despite everything that happened around him. And that was like, here, all right, dad, here, here it is. That's, you, you've learned everything I can teach you. Now I need you to go out. Other people learn that they've got potential that they don't know that they have. Sure. First of all, if anybody's watching this, they can see I got a little teary there. <laughs> this is high def, so no, I'm hiding nothing. <laughs> you know, Chris, I have, uh, I have, two boys. I have uh, an older daughter expecting my first grandchild here in six weeks. So for me to say I can relate, I can't. I can only imagine, right? To use that term. I just can't imagine. But I think parents who truly love their children shift into a gear they don't even know they have. It's true. And yeah, I mean, if anybody would ask me, my friends are like, man, if, if I would have predicted what would have happened to you when you snooze, you'd be in the corner of your bedroom curled up in the fetal position, worthless, but something does kick in. And, and that's an important part of his legacy too, is the things that kicked in within himself. He's 13 years old. Where, where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get this understanding of life? Um, and so, yeah, parents, and one, I don't want you to imagine, and I don't want you to ever have to understand Pete, and I don't want anybody to ever have to, um, but yeah, there's, there's strength within people and within you, Pete, that people, you don't even know you have until you need it. Sure. Well, I think there's a plan there, and it doesn't feel like a plan then. It doesn't feel like a plan now. But Tyler is a product of how he was raised. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. I mean, you, God, God put something between the two of you so that you were reflected in him and he was reflected in you. So the fact that he was able to have this perspective and this sage view on life, you know, about what he was dealing with probably made it easier for you to say at, the, at his bedside that first day, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And then not go anywhere because it's hard. I mean, and, and you mentioned, you know, what Tanner was going through. So my wife and I had a brief glimpse of this when my oldest son was born. He had a condition called volvulus and he was our second child. And the first day he was home, my daughter's three, something was very, very wrong. And fortunately, he was our second kid, or we wouldn't even have really known what was happening. We drove him right to Children's. Our, our doctor said, don't even come in here. Go right to Children's. They picked him up. And they came out, same thing, and said, your son has a thing called volvulus. We know what it is. We've got to go cut him open and take every one of his internal organs out and see if we can fix it. He's a good chance he's going to die. Mid Best case, he's going to have a colostomy bag the rest of his life because it's probably all infected and there's gangrene in there. So say goodbye to your son. Like you said, you get that lump, you get smacked in the head. And I think they're, by the way, they're trained to deliver that kind of news in a very specific way. Yes. They have to give you the worst case right up front because anything better than that is better than that, right? They, 
if they set false hope, then you keep thinking, well, they said this. No, if they start at the worst, they can work their way back. After the surgery, which is, I don't know, five or six hours, we went back in the room and you've seen this in, in a neonatal unit, they have general beds and they have two private rooms, which are completely sealed off. We went in there. My son's, you know, it's a day all laying on a ventilator. Things going, my wife walks up, gets right around him, you know, and loving on him. And I throw up in the sink. Yeah. Yeah. And the nurses goes, it's always the dads that throw up in the sink. Yeah, always the dads, man. Yeah. First of all, he couldn't talk. You, you know, we couldn't, we, he wasn't 13 years old, right? So that's, and that's a very different experience when you've had this relationship with your son. We left and we, we saw other people in that room who were dealing with what you were about to deal with, right? Terminal conditions, not knowing what their future was going to be like. But even the, the three, three or four months that we were dealing with this, it was very difficult on my daughter because mom and dad just kind of disappeared for a while. We were taking shifts at the hospital. I would go to work. I'd take the night shift. My wife would go in during the day, take the day shift. And it was, you know, and I, and I know it affected her, right? Just like it affected Tanner. How old were, were Tanner and Tyler when Tyler died? Uh, 15 and 12. Tyler was 15 and Tanner was 12. So that was eight years ago? Yep, going on eight. So Tanner's almost 20. Yep. When you sit with Tanner now, does he process this the way you process this? No. I wouldn't think so. No, and he, and he, he didn't talk about his brother a lot, you know? Um, okay. As he's gotten older, and I think he's forgetting, you know, he's, he was 10, like 10, 11, like in the, in the ugly. And so I, I don't know how much, you know, has worn off at all, but, but as he gets older, that's when I think he's, he's recognizing what happened and, and the, real, the reality of, Tyler, um, and, and of the things that, you know, that we talk about him. And, and so I, it's interesting to see him think about him more now that he's older, uh, but he doesn't process it the same way that I do. Um, I think there's things still in his head that we don't know, you know, that he's thinking, um, that he's probably has processed yet, but he lost his best friend, you know, I mean, they were buddies, you know, and, and, uh, and my older two daughters, they, you know, they lost their, their little brother and, but you know Tanner is is all the best of all of us, and 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 the best of his brother, and 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 it's just really good to see him. I guess acknowledge and recognize a little bit. Now, when you look at um, the whatever it takes, the foundation you put together for Tyler, if a company was to reach out to you, what's the main message you want to deliver to their leadership team or their employees? What's the what's the message? What's the theme? Well, the theme of the foundation is entirely is hope changes everything. And right now, uh, our kids with cancer don't, and a lot of cancers don't have hope. Tyler was given zero hope. And so uh, my message to them is, is hope changes everything. And hope, hope has a lot of different ways manifesting itself in our organization. We, we raise money to find a cure for the cancer that took Tyler. There's a lot of uh, scientists and researchers that believe, hey, if we tackle the hardest to cure cancer, it's going to unlock secrets for all cancers. And what Tyler had is, you know, probably top five, you know, at least top three, you know, of the hardest. Neil Armstrong's daughter, you know, if you ever watched the movie First Man, you know, there, the, his daughter died at a young age. Her name was Karen in early 60s. And, and she died of the same thing that Tyler died of and essentially received the same treatment that Tyler received. Different names. Radiation therapies progressed, right? But it was a combination of radiation and chemo. Nothing's changed in few plus years for, for Tyler's disease. So we raised money for that. So there's hope for kids that are going to get cancer down the road. We're trying to provide hope. 
But then there's also providing hope to kids that have cancer, right? Even Tyler in his terminal stage, there always has to be hope in everybody's life. And, and hope manifested itself in people doing kind things for him or sending him stuff or calling him or, you know, just trying to make him feel special. Those are all hopeful things and, and, are, and are really a part of anybody's, whether you're young or old, part of your, your therapy, you know. And so my message to organizations are that the kids need our help and they need hope. When you think about the diagnosis in the next 17 months, how were how was the healthcare system as far as shepherding you guys through what was about to happen, answering questions and, and explaining? I mean, did you feel like you were just kind of on your own or what, what was that like? Great. You know, one, I, I think we were fortunate to be to be near Phoenix Children's Hospital. I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about that place from the doctors to the actual facility itself, which is and hopeful. And, and it's a place where you're okay. I, I don't mind being here. You know, I'll have to say that they were great and that my, our, our physician and our neuro-oncologist was good about helping us. But what I learned early on, Pete, like day two was, this sounds silly, but I'm the customer and we're going to do what I say. Ultimately, it's my son, you know? And so you have to take charge to a degree and, and not just along with whatever is said to you. You know, I mean, they're the experts. So it's just like any business you have or any part of your life. You're going to listen to everybody that's got expertise, and then you're going to internalize everything, and you're going to make the decision. Now, in this in this case with Tyler, they knew the results, so they were more than happy to say, you know, because if they felt adamant about you need to have this, you need to do this, it's going to save his life, there wasn't that angle, so they didn't push, Right. But I was in charge, and I remember being in the hospital in the middle of the night. You know, doctors are missed for walking in at 3 a.m. and flipping the lights on and disturbing the whole world, right? And, and I know there's a reason for it, but I excused them plenty of times and said, you know, you can turn the light off. You can come find me, and we can go out in the hall. We can talk first, and then we'll decide if we're going to wake Tyler up. So, you know, I, I kind of realized that I'm, I need to be in the driver's seat. Now, that didn't mean that they're bad and they were doing the wrong things. It's just like, hey, it's my kid, right? You know, and so here's what we're going to do. So the system was great. I mean, there wasn't any information about this disease. There's not, there wasn't any, here's what's going to happen over time. We just had to learn it all. And so, you know, a part of what we've done with our foundation is try to be really active in reaching out when people be reached out to, because there's, there's things to consider and help them understand what journey they're on as much as they want to hear, because we didn't know what journey we were on. We were learning it as we went. We didn't know steroids were going to could do that to him. You know, we didn't know things that could possibly happen. And so um, I don't blame that on the doctors necessarily, because I'm sure they don't see that all that often either. But I, I would have to say, you know, I did a lot of it on my own. I took things into my own hands. I actually, Pete, I had, a handful of really close friends and I got them together and I said, if, if you guys are in, I need your help. And, and one guy was like assigned, you're like master of fun, you know, and you're, this guy was like, Hey, help me research some clinical trials. And then this guy was, you know, I just really needed a team or me and they stepped up big time. As a parent, you got to trust your gut. Yeah. And Tyler can't communicate in some of those points for himself. Again, I, you know, real brief example, when my son had this issue, it happened again two months later, and he was back in the hospital. And this time he's two or three months older, so he's, he's a little more mobile and a little more physical. And about 10 nights into the hospital, it's about 2 in the morning, I'm on night shift with him, and he is screaming bloody murder. He's all wrapped up on tubes and IVs, 
and they didn't want to feed him anything orally. I said, this kid is hungry and this kid is thirsty. Yep. You know, the resident's like, no, no, no. I said, find your boss. Yep. <laughs> so he bought the attending and I said, look, I can tell you right now, this kid has turned the corner. He's on the mend. He's just pissed. Yeah. I said, and they brought a little bottle of Pedialyte. He took two, two gulps and strength the whole thing and then went, lights out. He's like, and he just looked at me and goes, parents know. Parents know. Walked back out and smile. Yeah. And that you did exactly what you should do. And, and I feel bad for people that, that maybe just feel like, oh, they're the, they're the experts. I just got to listen to everything, right? Yeah. 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 And, you know, and again, this kid's seeing, he's seeing 20 patients at a time. He, you know, I, I, he's not in there. I said, look, I've been in here for six hours. Yeah. <laughs> I got an idea what he's dealing with yeah. right now. And again, I could be wrong, but at the end of the day, you got to kind of trust your instincts. And like you said, I, I have nothing but respect for Wisconsin Children's Hospital for the same reason. Some of the most amazing amazing doctors and nurses and attendings I've ever met full of compassion wonderful but you have to you have to get fully engaged in the process and part of that you know Pete that's a in like Tyler's situation and other situations that's a weight you know what I mean like I'm deciding the fate of my child and, and if yeah. I could share a quick story I've got a friend of our family that He's an older, he's probably 20 years older than me, but he, he worked with my father in business. And so we've reconnected the years and he had a situation where his daughter, this is like 30 ago feet, his daughter was three and she had a, a heart condition that was going to take her life, whether next week, next month, next year, she was going to die. And there was an exploratory surgery she could participate in. Mom and dad weren't on the same page. Dad wanted it. Mom didn't. Dad eventually won the argument, right? And he shared with me the story of they came to get her for surgery, and she was screaming, you know, no, Daddy, no. And and they wouldn't go to the nurses, get on the gurney. My buddy had to carry her to surgery, okay? And she's like, Daddy, you know, uh, I'm not going to see you. And he's like, no, you, you will. You know, all that stuff. I love you. You'll be fine. She died three days later. You know, he tumbled into alcoholism, abuse all for thirty, almost thirty years, Pete, and he blamed himself because of that duty as a parent that you, that you have to make those decisions. And and I'm so glad that we we got together because the the harsh reality is you do have to make these tough decisions, and they don't always turn out right. But one thing you can do, Pete, just be, exactly the reason you knew your son needed a drink is because you love him more than anybody else in this world. Doctors don't love him like you do. The nurses don't love him like you do. And love, that type of love, qualifies you to make the hard decisions that no one else can make in life. And I learned, and I talked to my I said, and love is never wrong. You know, I said, love is never wrong. You got to stop blaming yourself because decision you made, no matter what decision you made is right, because no one loved your daughter like you did. And no one loved your son and, and no one loved everything about the. So no one's qualified to make a life or death decision about your child to you. But you've got to, if it doesn't go your way, you can't beat yourself up for it for that very same reason. And it's a double-edged sword. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to take control of the situation, but taking control of the situation means you live with some stuff. So fast forward to 2022, you've got the foundation, you've got, this has turned into a bit of a speaking right. platform for you as well. 
where are you today from a business perspective? Are you are you full? Are you looking for that next phase of your career, or have you kind of turned this into your calling? I'm trying to turn this into my calling, Pete. Okay, it's it's so important to me. A few months before Tyler died, he he asked me that. He said, Dad, when I'm all better, I don't want this to end because whatever it takes to become kind of a move, honestly, in, in our community across the world. I mean, I'm getting messages all over from people. They're like, man, you know, I got a message from a mom one morning that said, my husband left us in the middle of the night and I didn't know what we were going to do. And then I read your post about Tyler and I knew I could. I mean, that changes you, you know. And so Tyler said, I, won't, I don't want this to end. I want you to figure out, help me figure out a way to keep helping people. And he didn't talk about cancer. He just talked about helping people in general. So um, I'm passionate about trying to share that message. And, and I've tried to synthesize everything he taught me down into, you know, buckets that we can we absorb and we can, you know, process. And, and there's, it's about hope. It's about self-belief and about perspective in your life. And that's what I talk about. And those are the things that are really super important to me to help people understand. I think it's a message that transcends business and, and home and schools and because it, it allows people to, to be better, to have more confidence in themselves and to know that when th- hard things happen, they have the ability to overcome them. So that's, that would be my dream is to, hey, take this foundation, take that speaking and, and, and create something that um, can memorialize them properly, but also, you know, fulfill my promise to him, which was, yeah, I'll, I'll never let this end, Tyler. I'm going to keep this message going. How have you been able to, uh, um, I mean, some of this stuff just happens organically, right? People hear about you and reach out. Yep. Have you actively started reaching out to companies and um, organizations for speaking or consulting engagements? How's that going? Yeah, I have. And it, it's on the front end um, of doing so. I mean, this whole you know LinkedIn post, the way it went viral is, you know, afforded me opportunities yeah. maybe that I hadn't had. But, you know, I, I, I start, you know, I, I've started with a lot of times with schools, you know, and because and, I'm really passionate about helping kids understand who they are and, and, and the power that they hold, but also businesses, right? Mm-hmm. It's getting better now that COVID is kind of easing up and companies are starting to do some things. You know, I like to do it in person. Of course, we'll do it on, on Zoom, but it's nice sure. to look at someone in the eye and to make that personal contact about those things. So, yeah, I mean, it's not long. It's, you know, probably like you, never enough. You know, you want to get more and, and make more of an impact. But, you know, if, if you just change one person's life at the end of the day, I guess that's worth it too. Um, but but that's yeah. what I'm passionate about. It's what I like to do. It's a tough one to get going. It's, it's tough to get that um, momentum enough and, and consistent yeah. enough. But you know, I keep at it. Well, and you know, it's, it is one of those things that it'll, it'll snowball, right? It's going to grow, it's going to grow. And eventually it's going to take off. We're going to put links to um, your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Great. Thanks. So that people can find you and listen to the program and then reach out and see if they can get you to, to come speak to their groups. I'm going to ask you two questions. What's the first thing he'd say to you, do you think? And what's the first thing you'd say to him? He'd probably say, dad, you gained some weight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> probably smacking it yeah, inside the head, but no, I think he would say, I hope he'd say thanks. There you go. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah. And I, that's what I would say to him is thank you for if, it, if this had to happen, I'll take it back and be the idiot I was before hundred out of a hundred times, you know, but sure. if it had to happen, Tyler, I hope I'm, a, I hope I'm making you proud. Well, my guess is you are right. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, Chris, I have encountered people 
not your situation, similar situations, right? I don't know very many that made that decision in that moment to say, look, I am not going to leave your side and then continue to try to figure out how to get that message out to other. It's hard. It's difficult. But at the same time, like you said, when you can honor him every day and look in Tanner's eyes and your daughter's eyes and see a little bit of Tyler there and vice versa, uh, it's helpful. You know, I, uh, for those that were recording this uh, Easter week of 2022, so I'm going to wish Chris a, a happy Easter and a, and a great a great weekend with your family, just spending time together. And I hope everyone that heard this, my takeaway is, as you described, is love is never wrong. That's one of the things I heard. The perspective that Tyler had, right? Uh, that quote is, my life is amazing. Yep. I wrote that down as well. And I'm just very grateful you shared this with us, Chris. I'm going to spread the word as much as possible when I promote this podcast that anybody struggling with this type of issue or anything else, reach out. If anything, like you said, just if you can impact their lives. Yeah. And, and I'm always willing if one person, a hundred people matter to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I plan to continue this friendship and bond and I hope that uh, you do as well. And we're just very grateful you spent time yeah, with us. I appreciate us. it. Happy Easter to you and your family, Pete. Appreciate it. Take care, Paul. All right. All right. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video. 